Welcome to the It's a Good Start podcast with myself, Kevin Gibbons, and Mike Lander. Our aim is to share our experiences in entrepreneurship, running digital agencies, and looking at the buyer side perspective so that you can take what's useful and get off to a good start yourself. In our first episode, we discuss the big four accountancies, Deloitte, KPMG, PwC, EY, and look at what lessons can be learned for anyone from how they grew, plus what they prioritise in order to make themselves successful. Hi Mike, good to talk to you today. I'd like to dig into the episode's topic being the big four and how they've grown. And obviously you've got a large amount of experience in working within management consultancies and seeing how they tick. So I think to kick things off, are you able to give a bit of a background about your experience just so that people can understand yeah, yeah. Yeah, what you've been through essentially? Yeah, sure. So if you go back, so I've been in a kind of consulting now for about I think I started in about 94, so kind of like 25, 26 years of management consulting. Um, and my, I started that basically at Barclays. So I worked for Barclays for about two years. And at Barclays, I was on the client side and we were working with McKinsey and with uh, Coopers and Librand as they were then. And so I learned my consulting skills basically through two kind of powerhouses of consulting, McKinsey mm-hmm. and Coopers. And then from there, I moved into KPMG. So I left Barclays and joined KPMG in their consulting business units and worked on large scale transformation programs. So I had six years working with some of the best in the business, really. And it taught me, yeah, it taught me loads about how to be an effective uh, advisor to clients. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think this is something that from my side, I've always been fascinated by this. So I, I did, as you know, I went on a Harvard course, I think three years ago now. And yes. one of the big reasons I did that, I, I just wanted to get my head around how did the likes of McKinsey become McKinsey? Because it feels as a small business owner, it feels unrealistic to think about what a McKinsey like today. But I always like the advice of don't just look at kind of what someone successful is doing today, look at what they did to get there. And I think yeah. whether that's an individual person or a company, it's trying to understand what makes them tick. Yeah. And I think the big learning and light bulb moment for me was it was so obvious, but it was win the war for talent. And if you have great people, yeah. they do great work, they keep clients happy, they attract more clients. And I think from what you just said earlier is it's you learn off of the people. And I feel like absolutely that, that's the key thing of how do you surround yourself with great people and good people want to be challenged and they want to work with people like that. And the, the big four sounds like maybe externally a bit of a harsh environment, but in a way that you do kind of sink or swim a little bit, but the best people do thrive. Is that fair? It's more than a little bit, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. brutal. It really is quite brutal. So the, the kind of the industry that's held up as being very brutal as a training ground is investment banking. And, and there's no surprise that a lot of people in consulting go into investment banking or come from, from investment banking into consulting. It, it is a pretty, you know, when I was doing it uh, kind of 90, so 96 to about kind of 2000, uh, 94 to 2000, in fact, so it, it was brutal. Uh, I mean, the hours were long. So you would typically work 12, 14 hour days. Uh, and that's just the norm. You'd work at the weekend. You would work all over the world. So you got disconnected from your friends. Um, the feedback process, one thing I really picked up was definitely this quest for talent. To get in through the door is hard enough. And when you're in, you then meet all these people. It's not that they're arrogant. In many ways, actually, kind of the opposite. But there was this 
very meaningful quest for excellence. You know, if you're charging two and a half thousand pounds a day for someone, clients expect an enormous amount of value for that. They expect you to be outstanding. So the way that the model worked was the partners that you worked for had gone through the process themselves. And so they were very demanding about the quality of the insights, the quality of the way that you wrote your work, uh, your expertise and knowledge. Because when you were in front of a client on behalf of a partner, you represent the firm. And so although people talk about, oh, you're mastering the talent and, you know, quest for excellence, my experience of the consulting firms was it really meant something. Yeah, for, the, for those six years, it absolutely meant something. And there was no escape. If your work wasn't good enough, and didn't meet the quality standard, then you started again. And if that meant you start again at 10 at night, you start again at 10 at night and you keep going. Yeah. I'm not saying that's a, like, I think with all these things, Kevin, and you, you've known me a long time now, my view of these things is, this is my story. So the good thing is you can't deny it. As long as I'm a truthful person, which I am, it's my story. Yeah. I'm not saying that this is the way people should do it or it's good or bad. It's just, this is what I observed and this is what happened to me. But the outcome from like six years was, it made me, I believe, a much better advisor. And I guess just to add a little bit of context, what was that time period when you were involved in this? Because it'd be interesting to see kind of maybe how that's developed since. Yeah, so I was working with McKinsey, Coopers and with KPMG between 1994 and 2000. And I think things have changed 20 years on from 2000. I think things, have, things probably have changed. Yeah, I, I know. And again, I'm, I'm basing this largely on the Harvard course that I did because a lot of people there were in professional services companies and that obviously lends to the big four quite heavily. And some of the concepts they were talking about there, to me, sounded quite extreme. It was things like, let's make sure that once a week you get an evening where you don't have work emails and you switch off. And it, it's someone that is working in an agency life where we've got a team that works hard, but we're not asking them to work five evenings a week and flat out to the point that they have to always be working. And I think to even see an introduction of you have that evening yeah. that you, you don't do work, it still felt like, oh, wow, this is... And we remember they're paying people a lot of money. Yeah. So back in the day when I joined, so this is in 96, you know, you, you were paid about £50,000 a consultant. Right. You know, back in the day, that, that's a, that was a lot of money. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so now I suspect for a consultant, so they have different grades. Obviously, you've got consultant, uh, senior consultant or principal, director, and then partner broadly. You know, they're probably now paying consultants 70000 Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. The people that I know working in management consultancies would be earning potentially two, three hundred thousand, and that might be with bonuses on top. So yeah, it's it's well rewarded, absolutely. And yeah, it, it is interesting looking at. I definitely want to touch upon the future, but I think for now, what made them a success? I think that's the big thing yeah. to do that. And I think actually first from a company perspective, and then secondly from an individual perspective. But from the company side and again as a business owner i'm always conscious of there's there's different things that you're looking at you're looking at how do you have the right talent and i understand certain people talking about how to a large extent every company is has the same challenge you have to have talent in order to do the work but you also need the right leadership and the right positioning and everything else to go alongside it there's no point having the best team in the world if you have no clients and equally there's no point having the best position in the world if you can't deliver on those promises so i think it's it's almost like how do you line everything up and what did they do what really made them tick again this is an external observation but to me the big four all seem very similar from the outside 
what is it that they did that differentiated themselves and which ones have maybe won during that time and is there anything that they've done maybe I'm asking too many questions at once but is there anything that they've done that really kind of makes them stand out and drives that growth so it's always good to look from the outside in to see you know what are the patterns uh, I think there are common patterns my experience was there's common patterns across what's now the big four it used to be the big six then the big five, then the big four. Um, and outside of the big four are obviously people like McKinsey, Bain and Booz, who are called strat houses. But if you look at all of those kind of like strat houses, the big four, I wouldn't talk about necessarily the, dif the differentiation because when you've got, you know, 20,000 people working for you and all those organizations are of that order and more, you know, probably up to 100,000 people, it's quite hard to see where the differentiation is. Yep. <clears throat> but what I can say is, is that the common traits that made them all successful, I think ultimately... You know, one thing stands out a mile, which is the partner model. The partner model's got loads of downsides, but it's got some huge upsides. Mm -hmm. As a partner, you basically run a mini business inside a big corporate brand, and you run your own P&L. Um, and what that makes you do is it makes you drive profit. It makes you drive fee income, uh, your sales, and it drives this kind of quest for excellence. People might think that these big organizations are very collaborative internally. My experience was they are not. The opposite is true. Partners will fight against partners because there's partner profit pools. Yeah. So the bigger you are as a partner kind of pool, and mini business of one, the bigger your profit share. It's not quite that simple, but broadly, the more money you bring into the firm, the more share of that money you get. Yeah. So it makes you want to grab more rather than share. And that's one of the downsides, I think, of the kind of partner model. But yeah, looking at the success factors, that partner model has definitely worked. The second thing is, there's a very clever thing, but simple thing that they all did. They have this idea of client partners. So you imagine KPMG, one of their big accounts might be, I don't know, at Walmart. There'll be a client partner that runs Walmart. And then the client partner will have other partners that deliver services within that client. So you'll have a tax partner, you'd have a corporate finance partner, you'd have a consulting partner, you'd have a risk partner, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And they all sell different services into that client. And what that did was something really simple. The client partner's relationship is with the board. The delivery partners, tax, consulting, whatever it might be, are delivering a line of service. If anything went wrong in that line of service, and we've all been there in marketing agency world, things go wrong, and someone's got to kind of um, protect the relationship with the client and bring in new people. The client partner's job is basically to manage quality to manage expectations with the board. And if anything did go wrong with a delivery piece of work, you just move someone out. So that partner or that director would move on. You bring in someone new and it allows you to maintain the relationship and your reputation um, whilst having this kind of like this, this massive flexible resource pool. So the client partners didn't um, often, you know, you wouldn't have a detailed view of all the, de of all the work going on. You'd have an overview, but it yeah. maintained quality and it maintained relationships. And of course, it also allowed you to sell on massively because right. the second thing about success is they, they historically, they used to lead with the audit because audit's very sticky. Yep. Then you'd sell in other services. Recently, that's being taken apart by regulators because rightly the regulator's gone, well, if you do the audit and you're running advisory services, you're conflicted. Right, okay. Because by your nature, you're selling your own advisory services into a firm that you're auditing. And the audit's meant to be independent. There's an, there's an inherent conflict of interest. Which makes sense, certainly, when you see some like financial scandals and stuff that actually from companies that have been audited and it should have been picked up. So exactly. Because they've got a vested interest in selling in more work. But yeah. broadly, the client partner's job was to sell in more work. 
Um, on the culture side, so I think obviously values is something that is talked about very widely now. That the values I'm hearing from you that are standing out from a big four perspective, certainly excellence. It's not quality doesn't sound good enough. It's kind of like you're, right. you're aiming for the top one percent of work and really striving towards that. And if you're almost there, it sounds like you're going to get it thrown back at you until it's completely there. Correct. And I think the other one is just that kind of... Was that the phrase I used, Kevin? It's a good start. Yeah, yeah, it is a good start, yeah. <laughs> and I even said, we had this with our team, we've, we've redefined our values um, a few weeks ago. And okay. one that I said was... Um, good enough isn't good enough and that's something that everyone when I said that is kind of like yeah that's totally you Kevin (laughs) (laughs) absolutely everyone else in the team and I I feel like I'm trying to understand when things can be good enough it's okay but I feel like when it's crucial if it's this is a client strategy that's where good enough isn't good enough because if you if you don't have that strategy it doesn't matter what you execute it's you're going in the wrong direction and And again something that the big four kind of taught me was if you listen to people i know we we both kind of follow people like blair ends and you know clients can buy activity they can buy outputs or they can buy outcomes and what i picked up from that kind of training in the big four was clients don't care how many hours you work they care about the the transformation that you can deliver and you're either doing it for them or you're doing it with them but they care about the outcome and the output. So people should never get confused about if the outcome or the output isn't of good enough quality, then you redo it. Just because you happen to have worked on this for like four days solid doesn't mean the client will care less, which is how you get this excellence model is that it's all about if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. You've got to get to the next level. Yeah, no, I think I think that's very fair. And equally, I think there's just trying to think of like the flip side of that. So if if you have you're striving for excellence, it does, there's something that Blair N says himself, which is there's an inverse relationship between the idea that you're bringing and the amount of time and pages worth of paper that it takes you to. And ultimately, we could have a chat for 20 minutes, and one of us could add a million pounds worth of revenue or a significant amount of profit to someone else's business, you feel like, oh, that's a 20 minute talk. I can't charge you any more than a hundred quid for that. And actually it could be worth tens of thousands, if not more. And on on the other side of you then get lots of documents that are padded. And I, I feel like where the management consultancies are really strong is when you're talking at an exec level, you don't have that much time. You need to get to the point. And certainly this is something that you've reinforced into me that I try and get into our team is if you can have that strategy on a page, everything makes sense in your head. And even to the point that if you can't get a strategy on a page, do you understand it well enough yourself and challenging yourself to get it down and distill it into a way that you can communicate it with clients. But. And that last point is really important. If you can't concisely put the entire strategy, the key messages onto one page with all the recommendations, then it means you've not thought it through properly. At KPMG, we had, you were taught about the elevator situation. You walk in at 7 a.m. to a client's offices. You walk into the building, you walk to the elevator, And at that same moment, the chief exec walks into the elevator with you. So you've now got about 30 seconds to go from the ground floor to whatever floor they work on say the 15th floor, you've got about 20 or 30 seconds. They say to you, how's it going? And the answer can't be, yeah, it's pretty good. Because you'll never see that person again. So you're kind of taught to have this prepared mind of we've agreed the kind of the final outcomes looks like this, got some issues, but we're managing them and we'll be done at the next phase in about six weeks. Look forward to seeing you at the next executive update. Ding! Doors open 
and she walks out. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's it. It's how do you get those key points across? And also just showing what the next steps are, what the value is. It's, it's one of those things that I feel like the, the challenge, and certainly as you grow and get more senior, this is something that I've definitely found myself, is it's not about looking smart. It's how do you take complex problems and make them as simple as possible and execute on it? Because complex problems that sound complex might never start. Complex problems that you can break down into a solution that has clear steps on how you can evolve right. it. There's yeah. a great phrase, which is simplicity only comes on the far side of complexity. And I think uh, it was Fines, uh, there was a, a Nobel Prize winning physicist when the spacecraft blew up uh, horrifically and he was brought into as part of the investigation team. You know, yeah. there's a very famous film where he shows people how the, the, this horrific accident happened and he got the O-ring and he dumped it into some dry ice and he took it out and he broke it and said, the O-ring snapped, it was too cold. And then he said, let me explain what happened. And all of a sudden, everyone was like, wow, okay. <laughs> because you've just, in one sentence, articulated the kind of complexity in a very simple way, and then you get into the detail. But you wouldn't have known that unless you'd gone through all the complexity in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like sometimes, I've definitely been guilty in the past, but you want to show that you want it, and you want to show that you've put the work in. Yeah. I feel like, certainly at an executive level, if you've got a summary of five slides and you've nailed it, they know that 50 slides worth of effort has gone into there, but they have right. given them the, the top amount to, to get to it because it's not fluffy top level view that you've yeah. based on no insight whatsoever. You've done the work. You're just trying to make it easy for them to, to do that. And I think at different levels, you probably need to be able to give different levels of detail to drill down into. But And you know, I'm a big fan of this, Kevin, is that we've had a, a lot of discussions around this in the past kind of few years is that, Five slides is the presentation, and then 50 slides is the handout. So you leave them with the book, and you yeah. talk through the five slides. And that's yeah. it. You want the detail, it's in the report. Let me tell you what the key messages are. There's a couple of questions I've got that goes back a step. So it's you were talking about executives and how they buy value. And yeah. I think, again, I, I've certainly seen this. If we're dealing with clients, and it's at a CMO, marketing director, commercial director level, I feel like we can much more successfully sell value. Um, yeah. This is the performance that we're looking to achieve. Here's the amount of revenue or profit that we're looking to bring into the business. They have, firstly, the level of excitement, and secondly, the level of buying power, which is probably related to each other. But yeah. um, in order to say yes to that type of proposition, a manager may be, I have a budget of X amount, thousands of pounds. I can't go beyond that because it's out of my remit. Yeah. Um, but I think the key thing that the big four have always been good at is how do they have those relationships at the senior level? And how do they, I guess, firstly, acquire those relationships? And secondly, is there anything that you see they do it goes the extra mile in terms of maintaining that relationship because obviously just winning a new client you could quite often maybe win a client on a small engagement work together for say six months but you need to be very good at managing that account in order to take it from a small project in a big business into a larger contract within that business and it's not it's not an easy skill set in itself so um let's talk about how would a big four firm get access to a new account. I think there's a couple of things that are probably critical around that. The first one is obviously the referral. Because you've got the client partner's got a relationship with the group chief exec of a FTSE 100 company, those group chief execs 
have dinner together, they have discussions together with their peers that are in different sectors. During those conversations, they are probably quite uh, professionally intimate with the issues they're facing. And in that moment, if there's an issue which they've faced, which now their peers facing, and they say, so how did you solve it? If they say, you should talk to Mike from KPMG, he was brilliant at that. So that referral at board level is what they all strive for. It's how yeah. McKinsey and people and Bain and KPMG and EMY and Accenture, that, that's how they do so well is that once you get to be that big and that credible and you have relationships at board level with the FTSE 100, they will refer you. So that's kind of, I think, one thing. The second thing is, I think, as a partner in a big firm, what happens is, is that the brand, so from my instance, the, the KPMG brand is really powerful. You know, any, any business, any organization kind of recognizes that the big four have, uh, by due, due to the nature of their scale and their experience and their credentials, they've got huge amounts of experience and they're very credible. So if I get access to another organization, the chief exec, through referral or through a conference that we went to or one of these kind of private mastermind clubs for chief execs, where we've sponsored the event, they're likely to take a meeting with me. I'll only get half an hour. So an interesting insight is, so we did this for a, um, KPMG had a, a, a quite a big audit relationship with a, a global manufacturing company, but we had no consulting relationship at all. And the audit partner managed to secure a meeting with the chief exec of an hour with this chief exec for consulting. So the consulting partner had access to this group chief exec in manufacturing. We had no consulting experience at all. And the chief exec said to the audit partner, I don't really kind of like, you know, I don't rate you for your consulting services. Never worked with you. You know, I'd, I'd always worked with X, Accenture right. or whoever. So we had now as meeting secured about four weeks time. And the partner brought me in internally and said, in four weeks time, I've got one hour with the group chief exec of this company. Your job, Mike, is to arm me with a presentation and messaging that will blow them away. You've got four weeks off you go. I spent four weeks with five people, so 20 person weeks of effort, building what we used to call the kind of the, the CEO room. So when the, when the chief exec came into KPMG's offices, they went into a room, it had his name on the door, walking through the door, on wall one was, this is what we know about you and your history. On wall two was the future that you could have and that your competitors have got. Yeah. And on wall three was how you get there. Here's yeah. the transformation plan. And in one hour, that partner managed to convince the chief exec, okay, you're a serious player in this transformational world. I need to talk to you. 20-person weeks went into one hour's conversation. Wow. It was amazing. And yeah. that's how they win new work. When that's, because they completely blow you away. When that's the thing, if, if you look at, there's a stat I saw recently about Usain Bolt, the amount of time he's professionally spent running if you add up all of the races he's done, about five minutes. <laughs> but if you look at the 15, 20 years of training that has gone into... Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. You don't wake up and run a under 10 second, 100 meter race. You train for a very long time, very hard. For those um, moments yeah. when you've got 10 seconds. It's a great analogy. You've got 10 seconds. To win that 10 second race, 15 years. Yeah, if you, if you nail it, you're Olympic champion. Yeah. <laughs> and if you mess it up, then no one knows who you are. And That's right. Go back to finding a job. <laughs> so that's about right. Um, so, no, I think that's all of the, the prep is so important for everything like this. And then yeah. 
I think that's the thing when it comes to if it's pitching or working with clients, it's like you should know what you're doing inside out to the point that I, I always like to think that if all the technology fails, the, there's a power cut, the internet is down, whatever, like you're not just being guided by exactly. slide after slide because in your head, and I, I think that framework works so well. It's the, um, this is something that I picked up from Cranfield, but yeah. just where are you now? Where are you going? How are you going to get there? Correct. But every wall one, wall two, wall three. That's what it was. A lot of people start, how are you going to get there? And it's like, well, where do you want to go? <laughs> and actually, right. I quote you quite a lot on this. You've always said, if you don't know where you're going, don't complain about where you end up. And Correct. That's exactly it. Any path will do if you don't know where you're going. I, I think that's right. And equally on the flip side, if you know where you're going, stuff's going to happen that means that plan isn't going to go perfectly. But it's how do you react to it? How do you yeah. recover from that situation? Because once you know where you're going, you've got alignment, whether like, in any relationship, not just business, this could be personal, but it's like yeah. you, you would look at, okay, well, this isn't going to the plan, but we know where we want to get to. Reassess. It's just our journey, it's fine. Let's figure out a new way and we'll get there that way. <laughs> That's... That's exactly, I think, the way it has to be approached. And certainly in a professional environment, I found as soon as you have not just that alignment, but actually I, I feel like sometimes you get more trust when things have gone wrong because then it's like, okay, well, you are human. Mistakes happen, but it's how do you react to those that's most important. So interesting, I think, you know, one of the things that we've done uh, together, uh, the QBRs, yeah. you know, I kind of use that now with other marketing agencies I talk to of a bit of a kind of a mini case study about kind of where we were on QBRs and where we are now on one particular client. Everyone's now focused on that QBR for one hour. We've got one hour with the, with the most senior people we can get access to at the client. In that hour, we've got to blow them away with what, we've, uh, what the results are, how that's tracking towards their end goal, where they're going, our approach, and how we're going to adapt our approach to accelerate progress towards the end goal. But a lot of effort goes into that preparation of the QBR. And we've now got a very slick way of doing it. There's a reduced set of slides, there's advanced information that goes out, there's reporting dashboards, yeah, there's a strategy review. And that discipline, I think it's really helped our team. And it keeps them on track because it's not, you could take it too far and you could say every quarter we've got a new plan. But really it's about, we've got normally an annual plan Yeah. in each quarter are we on track? If we're not, why not? What can we do about it? And how do we... Then you adapt. How do we adapt and, yeah, just course. So, no, and it also shows the client that you're in, you're in kind of control of your own agenda. Yeah. You know, you're leading them through a process rather than them going, what happens next? Exactly. And you can bring some of the stuff that I find they don't have maybe as much knowledge on, certainly time-restricted-wise, is everyone's in a bubble. They know themselves as, as much as an agency or any business will look to understand working with their client as much as you possibly can. The client is always going to know themselves better than the agency will. Yeah. What they sometimes don't see is what else is happening within that sector and marketplace. So if we can bring the marketplace insights of, did you know your competitor is doing or launching this product or what, whatever yeah. it is that... I feel like that's where the QBR is a good place to do almost like that competitive benchmarking and showing this is what it means and how can you take it forward and adjust based on what's going on around you as well. So two things that, you know, again, back to this theme of like, how did the big four become so successful? You know, two things, uh, again, to pick up on is, you know, that insight. If you meet a senior person that could be a buyer, 
you have to bring some insights to them that they don't know. Well, you imagine the further up the chain you go towards group chief exec, the harder that is to do. Bringing right. insights to the group chief exec, who's a sector leader, that's really hard. The one thing we were taught to do was we bring in out-of-sector experience because we were so broad in our coverage. I could go to the group chief exec of a manufacturing company and bring them some insights from the media world. Because what we used to find was sectors were ahead of each other. So particularly now with digital transformation, I think it's very relevant. One a case study example at the moment um, that I'm very fascinated by is Disney. Mm -hmm. so Disney just launched the Disney Channel. Yeah. I have a small son, he loves Disney. They got 30 million subscribers within a month of launch. £5.99 a month, £180 million of revenue per month. That's going to give them a fighting fund of £2 billion a year and growing. Yeah, that's content they developed years ago. It's remarkable. Now, if you took that insight and applied it to other sectors, you might start to bring something unusual and interesting to a client that hadn't thought in that way before. Yeah, I think that's very true. I, I also find sometimes you can learn a lot from the US market. I found this yeah. when I've done some work with brands and looked at what are they doing in the US, like you think of one of the, the TV ads that have changed companies would be Compare the Meerkat. Yes, exactly. For Compare the Market. And in a lot of ways, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm not a brand consultant, I wasn't involved in any way with this campaign, but it strikes me as that's quite similar to Geico's Lizard in the US. Yes. And it's like every, everyone oh, has something that sparks a new idea. And if it hasn't worked in that country, it could be an opportunity to take it to that country. Yeah. Maybe in a similar way to how TV sh shows do well in one country and then get rolled out, similar sort of thing. And completely what you're saying from a sector perspective, you can do one thing in one sector and it works really well. Yeah. And then completely make that a unique proposition in a new sector because no one's ever done it there before. Exactly. And so that's one thing, that, that's one reason they're very successful. Yeah. I think the second thing is, I left KPMG 20 years ago. I'm still talking about them. I still recommend them. I still really rate them. And I take all that learning from them and others and I apply it 20 years later. And although the world's changed dramatically, businesses have changed dramatically, the rate of business growth of entrepreneurial companies has grown, the same principles still apply. Basic, solid business principles and ways of working still work. And I was trained in those principles by some of the world's experts. It makes them very successful because I'm a brand advocate. It does that alumni network of yeah. everyone is a future customer. Referrer, absolutely. No, I think, I think that's really strong. I think to summarize, so there's a couple of things. Actually, one last thing I wanted to touch on is how you see this going from the future. If there's anything that you could recommend from the, these that maybe smaller businesses could take on board. I guess from what I see of um, the likes of the big four, there's probably two sides to it. One is everything is getting more specialized. People may go to specialist consultants as opposed to one of the big four from a yep. value price perspective. But that said, if you're Coca-Cola, you'll probably want, you want to pay for the best. I think there's probably always a place for that. Yeah, there is. Uh, the, the other side is in terms of kind of the more progressive companies, certainly at a big scale, I'm thinking of the likes of WPP that have going undergoing kind of more of a centralization as opposed to having different companies under one holding company structure the management consultancies seem to have done well at having everything under one roof and also innovating again there's there's probably two sides to this some people will argue maybe management consultants don't innovate enough mm -hmm. i would point people into the direction of stuff like e-consultancy do a 
top 100 agency list that they've done for a long time. Yeah. And it's absolutely dominated by management consultancies. Oh, is it? Wow. Their own services, acquiring, and um, Deloitte Digital is one example. Accenture, I think, have their own offering. I think Accenture were rumoured to be purchasing WPP a while back, which obviously didn't happen. But where do you see the management consultancies playing a role in the next... 10 to 20 years is, is there a, a shift is there maybe would, would they go forwards or backwards uh, I, I don't know if there's a clear answer but it'd be interesting to hear your take so interesting um so i think i think there's two answers to this um so i think first of all what can smaller agencies do to compete uh so how would you grow not to become the size of kpmg but how do you build a sustainable growth marketing agency so I think in this market where smaller agencies can win out against these huge big firms like Deloitte Digital, for example, how would you compete against them? You've got to go niche and then sub-niche and be an expert because although the big four have been very successful, what they're not good at is they don't tend to allow you to focus on a micro, micro niche. Right. As a consultant, you tend to be kind of operating within a sector with a, a kind of a broad service line. So for example... I was in tech and financial services, my two sectors, and I was in strategy and transformation services. That's what I kind of did. So um, because what I need to do is the firm's got to deploy me across different clients. In a niche agency, the way to compete against people like the Deloitte's is to go, they don't have the level of detailed expertise that you might have in SEO, content marketing, digital PR within uh, retail, you know, whatever, retail clothing. You've got to go really niche to defend your position. And I feel like to go really niche, you have to go not just horizontal, but vertical as well. Like how do you say we are SEO specialists, just using us as an example, yeah. we work heavily in the e-commerce sector. Like that, that's you could go more granular, you could say fashion. And, yeah. um, An inch wide, a mile deep, as uh, Pat Flynn says. Okay, so just to summarise and wrap things up, the key points that I would have taken from this really is I think the culture is hugely important in terms of controlling and quality controlling kind of what made the big four great in the early days, how they grew and maintaining that throughout. And the things I'm hearing from you, Mike, are definitely the relationship is hugely important. So having the right relationship with the right people and being that trusted advisor. So it's like you're you're there, not just, I like the analogy, if you're, you're not a waiter, you're not just there to take the orders, you're there as a strategic partner to say, I'm here to challenge and support you on both sides. And to do that, sometimes you'll have disagreements, other times you're just there to, you agree with things, so let's find out the way to get it done. Um, like a sommelier would at the table, when you say I want some wine, you call the sommelier and they advise you because you trust them. Yeah, and I think that's it. And again, they're taking the analogy further. The waiter will bring the wine to the table, but they're not going to get invited to the table. And I think yeah. if you're in that situation where you are trusted for your opinion, then straight away you're, you're going to be seeked out and you're going to be remembered yeah. as those people move around. I think moving around is actually another thing that over almost like the arc of a career, everyone will move through several roles and that alumni network is hugely important because if people have had a positive experience like yourself you are the the next customer the next referrer you become almost an organic part of their marketing in the way that word of mouth referrals are such a big driver of new clients to um, consultancy firms even at that level maybe potentially even as much as it would be for a small company so i think that's that's hugely important 
And the third and final thing I would say is just that culture for excellence. You have that quality control around if you're you're not quite there yet, like we were saying earlier, if let's aim for the top one percent. It, it's it's kind of the whole case that you have to turn down good opportunities to get the great. And I feel like being selective, knowing what to say no to, but quality control in that work so that when the client sees it, it's of the, the highest quality because you you might not get that second chance. So I think that's it's really important. Really important. Back to that, you know, the very now very famous, why do people work for organizations? Mastery, autonomy, purpose. The only way you get to master your craft is by really good feedback, you know, demanding problems that you're trying to solve with talented people around you that can help. Exactly, yeah. And I think great people will want to surround themselves with talent. I've, I've certainly seen it in the past where great people might leave because their job role becomes, how do we train up everyone to get to a certain level? And if you're great at your job, you want to be challenged and you want to work with people that are going to bring new ideas that yeah. can help develop you. And almost like a big fish in a small pond, that's the time to potentially start looking for, okay, well, how do I take my own skills to the next level? And How do I grow more? Yeah, and, and the big four are probably a great example of how do you challenge yourself on the, the biggest stage that you can within yep, your career. Definitely. Great. Okay, well, thanks very a good. lot for that. That's uh, a pleasure. No, I really enjoyed it. It's very good. Yeah, I look forward to the next one. Yeah, exactly.